0: This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by the Gear Up program powered by steel. Gear Up is a program created by the Tree Care Industry Association Foundation as well as steel to provide five colleges with $5,000 to be used towards the purchase of new steel equipment. Selected schools will be able to customize their package to help strengthen their college's tree care program. Colleges with the boriculture, horticulture, urban forestry, and other related programs are eligible. To learn more about the GEAR UP program, visit us at outsidecareers.org or follow the link in our show notes.
1: So most of the summer for me has been spent learning how to augment my classes in a virtual environment and learning how to maneuver through this really horrible thing, Blackboard.
0: The tree care industry has stories and knowledge just waiting to be explored. We'll have a variety of expert guests and innovators from all corners of the industry sharing their stories and extensive knowledge on our show. On this episode of the TCIA Podcast, we'll be sitting down with Tracy Takeuchi to discuss what it's like to be an educator during a pandemic. Tracy is a full-time adjunct lecturer at Cal Poly Pomona, California, in the Plant Science Department at the Huntley College of Agriculture. She specializes in evaluation of landscapes with an emphasis on tree disease, insects and fertility, and tree inventory and soil health. Additionally, she is a Western Chapter ISA Certified Arborist and member of both the ISA and WCISA, and currently serves as Western Chapter Board Director.
1: I was yeah. in a meeting on Monday with our own street tree commission in the city I live in, and it was interesting to see how uh, little information the board um, uh, the board actually had about trees. They're just not educated, and so you know you can't speak to them on level like you know professional. But they're making critical de- decisions for the city, so they have to be elevated in some way and it has to be a gentle process because many of them are resistant to that information
0: so basically just continuing off your 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 conversation your passion for trees why did you end up becoming a a professor was it because you are passionate about trees or did you a lot of the things we've heard is people kind of fall (laughs) into the tree care industry like they don't actively seek it out is that accurate for you
1: yeah, that's that's kind of accurate for me. I uh, originally wanted to do PCA work up in Trinity County with uh, pears and other stone fruit up there. At the time that I graduated from college, I found that my husband was too deeply committed to the aerospace industry, and we just didn't find it convenient to move up that far at that time to start a new career where he did not have opportunities for employment. So we stayed in Southern California and. I found a position with a local tree and pest management company and started working for them and elevated myself over time. Um, I, While working for them, I, I received or earned my certified arborist designation, my pest control advisor license, and my uh, professional pesticide applicators license, my QAL. So, worked for them for a while. I found that my daughter, who at that time um, was attending a private school, was struggling with her education. We subsequently identified that she had attention deficit disorder hyperactive behavior. And so it became important to me to ensure that her education was my primary concern. So I left my employment and began my consulting and pest management business as a part-time venture so that I could home educate my daughter. In home educating my daughter, I found that education was a really uh, important passion that I really didn't have in my um, future wheelhouse as a, as a um, career choice at that time. And as I educated my daughter, I found that there are so many interesting ways to learn that I had not understood prior to teaching her and exposing her to materials. And I wanted to be able to, at some point in my future, bring educational opportunities through not just my field experience and practical abilities that I gained over the 28 years of my consulting business, which I still operate today, uh, but also the modalities, the ways people learn. To bring a difference to those students who may never have had the opportunity to think in the way that they personally think best in approaching materials and information acquisition. So, as I began to um, age, (laughs) you know, doing pesticide and other application work as an independent applicator becomes increasingly um, challenging from a uh, labor perspective and I never really wanted to have uh, employees in a business. That was not my goal. My goal was to have a functional pest management business and consulting business that could dovetail in with my education and my daughter. So that evolved. It was very successful. As I started to become older, I felt I needed to consider my next steps. So my next steps then was to return back to college for a master's degree, I had previously earned my bachelor's in agricultural biology, um, and and to prepare myself for college-level instruction. And that was my goal. So that's how I ended up leading myself into the, the faculty position that I hold now at Cal Poly Pomona. I just love students, you know. We all hate bureaucracy. We all hate the, you know, the paperwork aspect and all of that. But students are amazing. And if I can touch students and I can help them avoid some of the learning challenges that I experienced as a young applicator, as a young consultant, um, then I'm more than willing to share that expertise and the scientific background that I've gained over the years, not just through uh, college level instruction, but also through the continuing education process that our industry provides. Particularly the Western chapter, but all of our chapters do an excellent job of training science into our tree-based curriculum. So these two industries dovetail very well, education on the college level and the International Society of Arboriculture and other professional tree organizations.
0: What was it like your first year of teaching? How did that go? (laughs)
1: Um, That was brutal. Yeah, that was brutal. Um, My first year was unique in that uh, I started with you know, the usual kind of introductory courses, and we had a faculty member at the time become ill and quit about seven days before the semester started. So I was given um, an extra workload. I went from 14 units to 17 teaching units, basically overnight, and had to design an entire curriculum and class in less than seven days. That was a brutal year. Um, we were also in the process of transitioning from the quarter system to the semester system. So in advance of that, we had large numbers of students that were trying to graduate so that their uh, contract with the university was fluid. If they waited, then their units were kind of divided in strange ways and and the, the, it wasn't an apples to apples shift from quarter to semester in their unit loads so they would have had to take extra classes if they were not able to graduate prior to that transition so i had classes of you know 47 students six labs (laughs) it was it was pretty brutal but you know learn trial by fire you know it it was a way to really rapidly elevate my ability in instruction and instruction techniques and developing um PowerPoints and all of those issues that, you know, you guys are probably facing as well.
0: So it's safe to say that every year afterwards was was much easier? Or did they all come with their own challenges yeah, too the, as well?
1: <laughs> you know, I thought they would be. And people kept saying, oh, well, you know, you've done this once, it'll be fine. But there's always something. So yeah, um, We went through the organizational shift from quarter to semester, the year after I started teaching. So that was difficult the second year to go from uh, an extended summer break where we normally would uh, alter our classes. We would include new materials. We would have a break from instruction so that we could kind of regroup mentally. We had a very short summer. So we ended up going back into the academic term a month sooner than we would normally. So less preparation time, um, less kind of mental regrouping time. And then this year, (laughs) you know, thought everything was kind of going along nicely. We did rather last year, we did the Arboriculture Student Summit um, at Cal Poly where we brought industry together and had a tremendous showing of people to showcase the arboriculture industry as a career path, great start to that. We had high schools, junior colleges, and four-year colleges in attendance, not just our own campus community. It was really a great start. And then uh, going into January, which would be our spring term, we started understanding that the COVID pandemic was a likely proposition. And then, you know, bang, in April, we're on social distancing and isolation and teaching virtually. So every year has had its own unique challenges. I would say that's true for most campuses. There's always something structurally occurring. It's not just about teaching, and I think that's something that... um, people are probably not aware of or sensitive to. I'm hearing a lot of news information on media about how parents are worried about their children going to virtual instruction. And after all, what are these instructors doing except sitting in front of a computer all day? (laughs) And and so they don't really have an understanding of, of all of what's going on in the background to bring a product to a student in a virtual environment. So that's a stress. We're all dealing with that. And we don't know. I mean, this is a big, big um, daily. I don't know. I don't know what the next day will offer. I don't know if we will be virtual in spring or face-to-face or partial face-to-face, partial virtual. Um, So each time there's a shift, then the professors have to alter what they're delivering. It's never apples to apples.
0: What was that transition like? I mean, you guys are, are very hands-on field. Do you know how, I, I don't want to say, you know, how do you transfer those skills over when it's, it's virtual? Cause you guys were, were caught by surprise with the spring semester, but going forward to the fall semester, what are your plans and how are you planning on overcoming some of these, these difficulties that you're, you're definitely going to run into, it sounds like.
1: I think um, for the most part, we all have to be very sensitive to stress. The students, as you probably are aware, Cal Poly Pomona particularly has a high number of students that come from first time college uh, academic homes, It's they're first time college students in their entire family. Many of them are uh, English as a second language. Many of them are from uh, challenging academic backgrounds because their school districts don't have the most funding um, they may be personally, economically disadvantaged. So, we have to be sensitive to the idea that some of our students may not have the most up to date technology, or they may be sharing that technology with other family members, and so there's competition. It is not an easy solution for us right now. We are, my classes are fully asynchronous, which means that they will be completely virtual or digital, not live instruction as a face-to-face class might be even on the virtual platform. And so so having students show up, first of all, to a virtual format when they are very accustomed to being a hands-on learner, this is going to be a, a huge challenge. We are limited in the materials that we have or that they can purchase that they would normally have access to on campus. Um, simple things like PVC pipe and pipe cutters. I can't ask a student, to go and purchase the full complement of tools that they would be exposed to in an academic setting. It's exorbitant. A nice pair of pipe cutters um, for PVC is approximately 50 to $60. I can't ask 30 students to go purchase a pair of pipe cutters, pipe, and all of those things. So the way I'm attempting to Alter is through virtual instruction filming. Um, I have a GoPro that I'm filming. I'm providing them with step-by-step methods and asking them to creatively find a way to recreate that action. It's not going to be the same, but it gives them an opportunity to have the muscle motion and think about the why behind the action. And so um, there are a few things that I can ask my students to obtain. And hopefully they will be able to do that, but I can't, I can't really require anything at this point because we don't know what the individual student's circumstances are in terms of purchasing. I'm hopeful that they will have access to plants in the outside so that they can go and view plants and learn about identification, um, trimming, all the biology and botany that I would normally lecture to them and then physically show them in the field. Um, Hopefully that they will have access to those plant materials so they can try to recreate that experience. And then I have hopes that my students will meet with me synchronously at some point so that we can all gather and debrief on what they're learning. I can't require that because the course is fully asynchronous. So this is the challenge with the bureaucracy dovetailing in with our hands-on learning. Uh, I think the students are going to find it challenging. The faculty is going to find it challenging, but we're going to, we're going to overcome, we're going to overcome, and we're going to deliver the best material we can.
0: So more about the students and the backgrounds that they came from, and it's again, the conversation of, you know, you normally don't go into tree care as your, your first choice, you just kind of fall into it. Um, Is that the case with your students as well? I know everybody has a different reason for coming in, but what's kind of the, the common reason you see people enter into like agriculture and stuff like that.
1: So that's interesting because um, we have a very uh, limited arboriculture offering at Cal Poly. I've been attempting to advance our cause and get more interest in our field. The arboriculture summit that uh, we had was a first effort at really trying to bring students from high school through the four-year college experience to to understand that arboriculture is agriculture. It's a subspecialty of agriculture. So many people don't understand that. They're not even aware. So the more we can get people at the high school, even the eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade level, to understand arboriculture is an agricultural career path, start more training at the high school level, advance that to the college level. They can't do what they don't know about. So they may have FFA at their high school, but they don't necessarily focus on, on trees, on arboriculture. They may have uh, pomology, fruit growing, but they don't necessarily focus on arboriculture and arboriculture techniques. So if we can get that information out sooner, I think the students will come to it as a choice instead of falling into it out of kind of a necessity. Right now, I'm directing students to... Um, I'm directing students to Arboriculture that thought they were going to go into a different direction after graduation, but are finding because of the COVID situation and other constraints that those areas are not open to them. So they are suddenly forced into different choices, sort of like I was. I initially wanted to go to Trinity County and work in stone fruit. I ended up in a different direction. So if we can get that information to them, this is a career path, not just a job sooner. I think they'll choose it sooner. That's my goal. I am hopeful that I can eventually evolve a um, urban forestry or arboriculture minor at Cal Poly, but that will require that other uh, tenure track faculty become invested in that because the tenure track have longevity. And myself as an adjunct lecturer, I have less uh, structural power within the organization. So I need to get a partner who's a tenure-track faculty member to champion this. And so I've been working towards that end. The students that attended the Arboriculture Summit found the idea of Arboriculture a surprise. So again, falling into the industry because they are exposed to it late. Many of them had never climbed a tree We had uh, one of the International Society of Arboriculture professional climbers at the Arboriculture Summit help put a handful of interested students up into a tree in a safe and professional way at Cal Poly during that summit. And they were hooked. They loved it. You know, you get somebody in a tree, it changes their perspective. So that's my goal. It was my goal to have more hands-on for that summit. In the future, I hope that we can have more hands-on. Right now, we can't touch anything. (laughs) It's COVID. (laughs) So I don't know if that answered your question, but...
0: Yeah, because a big concern most of our members have, and I guess most of the tree care industry has in general, is a hiring problem. You know, they're, they're struggling to find help and qualified help. And really kind of the idea is we focus a lot on the, the college age students, but I think you're right. I think that, you know, the needs to get into high schools and you're an educator. What do you think would be the best way to start getting these kind of programs into high school? What can, what can somebody do at, a, at their own local level that they can do to help promote uh, arboriculture and try to get people interested in the future?
1: At the junior high and high school level, we have a great program through the International Society of Arboriculture in Western chapter. Our uh, tree fund supports, and the Britain fund supports the tree circus that is hosted by Timmy Womack. That's a roving educational opportunity that goes from school to school to teach about trees. And he and his crew are traveling nationally when we can travel to provide that information to grade school junior high and high school students that is one way making our own student teachers that have to enter into the junior high and high school environment as part of their own professional development student teachers must have having them Use some of this information as a career opportunity and provide that information to students uh, during their normal training process. Having our own industry um, outreach whenever we can at the high school and junior high school level so that we can bring the importance of trees from an environmental level all the way up to the career path, that information to them. The challenge with volunteer work, as you know, is, is having the time because we all are employed in other capacities. So finding a way to get the educational materials to those students, even if it's a, a video or a PowerPoint that they can watch in their classrooms on Science Career Day or something of that nature. Uh, the Women in Our Boriculture Committee through the Western chapter is developing a women-centric PowerPoint that can be showed at that junior high and high school level, as well as college level, that highlights careers in arboriculture specifically for women, because we are underrepresented in the industry. And so, working with our professional chapters and our professional organizations, such as TCIA, to bring those kind of powerpoints and educational opportunities together, and then present them to um, those schools for their their use. I think that right now, particularly given the social isolation of COVID, is going to be a great way to show people that, yeah, we we may not have hands-on opportunities for you to experience this right now, but it's out there waiting for you. So science up, learn what you need to learn about plants and trees, Don't don't have plant blindness, and move forward into your future knowing that this is a Functional, viable, vibrant industry to work in as a career.
0: I think that's all great because we are starting an apprenticeship program at TCIA, but that's obviously focused on a lot longer term when they're older. And I kind of at that point, it's hard to get people to change their interest to say, oh no, I'll end up. So I think a lot of what we're looking for is, you know, how can our members give back to their communities in ways that would would encourage somebody and influence somebody who's younger to really want to go into this because kids want to be firefighters and policemen and doctors but nobody says they want to be an arborist so how do we go about changing that kind of thing because realistically from a kid's point of view it should be just as fun you know you play with like chainsaws and you get to climb trees <laughs> it should it seems like everything that we need it just kind of doesn't seem like we have the, the popularity.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, the popularity is, is probably low due to a, a lot of different phenomenon. I mean, we are more in a brick and mortar environment than we have ever been. Um, children may not have access to the outside as they once did. They're more focused on concrete and inside buildings, learning virtually. Even prior to this, their entertainment was more um, web-based and digitized rather than out in the world. There, there's quite a bit of information that says, suggests that um, we just don't see plants unless we're trained to see them. It's called plant blindness. It's a real phenomenon and it's escalating. Because we're so distant from plants, we stop seeing them in our environment. And if we don't see something, we can't know it's important. If we don't see trees, we can't know there's a career in trees. Um, just this morning, I was listening to a political radio station, and one of the, the hosts actually said, speaking of the iNaturalist Seek layperson uh, application that's available for your phone that can help you identify plants and animals in the field on a uh, the, the Seek app, is a lower, kind of more introductory ability to identify plants and animals and then the iNaturalist is the more powerful application for scientists and people with more training, typically. He was speaking about this Seek app eliminating jobs because virtual intelligence is going to replace live people and after all, how many people need to be able to identify trees, he said, I'm paraphrasing. But he basically said the only industry that requires tree identification is forest ranger. So, of course, I had to text him and say, you know, no, you're missing something here. This is a major industry. This is a major workforce. And there are numbers of positions and careers that require the ability to identify not just trees but plants in general. And an app is not going to replace a person. The fact that he was unaware and speaking to a national audience about the lack of career opportunities for people who can identify trees was disturbing to me.
0: Going off of that, what do you think there what do you think are some things that we can do to I guess I don't want to say win the popularity contest, but how can we make people more aware of being an arborist and like you said, even if it's like plant health care or just you know, to to not just say, oh, the only person needs to be able to know what a tree is, is a park ranger?
1: Well, (laughs) I mean, I think that's the $10 billion question, really. Um, I, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. It's psychologists, educators mostly agree that the age range to reach students at for upper level education, career path choices is seventh and eighth grade. So even there, we are targeting high school because we think of the high school students as being a little bit more thinking about what their career choices might be at that point but they've already they've already pretty well decided a direction they've decided if they're going engineering they've decided if they are going medical it's earlier we need we need to get into the grade schools and the junior highs and we need to do it in a meaningful way i think the budgetary crisis has always been a reality that we grapple with, and it's only going to become worse. They need to touch trees. They need to be wowed by nature. They need to see that it's not something to fear. They've sort of, many children have been taught that nature is scary and dangerous to them. And so we need to find more and more ways to to make them understand that nature is really their friend and that as long as they respect nature, it's a beautiful supportive aspect of our whole global community that we have to protect and preserve, including in the urban environment. So getting getting children into nature is really important. It's not, a, it, there isn't, isn't one size fits all easy solution to getting young people to see plants on a more personal level.
0: Join us next time as we talk with Tracy about the student summit that she held for her college and the surrounding schools, as well as her experience with the Gear Up program and what it was like to receive a Gear Up grant. The TCIA podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. To learn more about the podcast or to listen to previous episodes, visit us at podcast.tcia.org.